the middle of the sermon or anything like that. Um, but in all seriousness, I am excited just to get a chance to share God's word with you this morning. I want to thank the elders for, for giving me this opportunity. Let's pray before we get started. Father God, I just thank you uh, for the chance to gather as your body and worship you. God, I pray that this morning it would be your words and not mine. God, I pray that we would leave this building here, God, um, convicted, changed, and just in awe of you. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Here's my question for you. Are you a follower of Christ or an admirer of Christ? Are you someone that, simply, that, that follows him or are you simply someone that admires him? Do me a favor, as you're thinking over that question, open up your Bibles with me to the book of John. We're going to go to John chapter 19. John 19, we're going to start at verse 38. John 19, verse 38. The background to what we're reading is Jesus has just been crucified. He's he's, um, been hanging on the cross. And we come upon this scene here in John chapter 19, verse 38. Here's what it says. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. He came, therefore, and took away his body. And Nicodemus came also, who had, been, who had first come to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is a burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, on account of the Jewish day of preparation, because the tomb was nearby, they laid, they laid Jesus there. Now, don't close up your Bibles yet. We're, we're going back there. But, but this might seem like a strange passage or kind of like, okay, what, what's happening here? How, is he, how are we getting a sermon just out of this, this little passage here? It's, it's easy to glance over this name Nicodemus. Nicodemus is someone, to, to give you a little back story on who he is, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were this group of people that were um, criticized by Jesus and John the Baptist for being hypocrites. Um, ironically. And, and not only was he a Pharisee, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. This is the ruling council. Um, it was a 72-member body that, that made decisions. They were on the ruling council. And it's interesting, not only was he a member of the, the council, not only was he one of the 72, but earlier in the book of John, Jesus refers to him in, in John chapter 3, verse 10, he refers to him as a teacher of Israel. So this isn't just like Joe Schmo here. This is a guy that's got quite the reputation for Jesus to call him, O teacher of Israel. It's someone that is probably very well admired, very well respected, very well known, very well educated to be you know, the teacher of Israel. That's, that's a pretty heavy title. But, but here's this guy that, that has all these accolades, all these things. He's a teacher, you know, teacher of Israel, well respected, everybody knows. But the scene that we just read here, it's almost the exact opposite. This doesn't, at least to me, when I'm reading this, this doesn't paint the picture of someone that's well-respected and, 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 and well-known by everybody. Here's this guy that's basically on the ground wrapping the body of Jesus up. It's the picture of someone that, that is not catered to by the rest of society, but rather it's a picture of somebody that's there and has humbled himself. 
You see this man, Nicodemus, right here in this moment, in this passage that we just read. He's, he's, rec- he's, sorry, he's sacrificing a lot. He's sacrificing his time. Obviously, he's sacrificing his time to be there. He's sacrificing his money, that mixture of um, aloes and the, the myrrh that, that cost about 75 pounds, which was a, a pretty sizable amount of money at the time. He's sacrificing his time. He's sacrificing his money. But most importantly, or, or the one that's most glaring to me, is he's sacrificing his reputation. Don't forget, guys, at this point, there was no vindication for Nicodemus. Jesus had not been raised from the dead yet. So he's basically wrapping the body of this man that had become the laughingstock. Everyone's like, ah, yes, Savior, right? Yeah. They, they, they had no respect for him. But here's Nicodemus out in the public. Clearly, everyone could see him associating himself with this man. And he's got no problem with it. He's got no problem with, with sacrificing his reputation, it, it, his job, whatever it is. They, he's laying it all on the line so everybody could see that here's this man, Nicodemus, associating himself with Jesus. To me, that paints the picture of a true follower, someone that sacrifices it all, gives it all. But here's the interesting thing before you go, okay, sermon over, good, Nicodemus was good. But the, the, the point is, Nicodemus wasn't always that way. Flip back with me now to John chapter 3. We're going to go back to John 3. I want to show you where it all began, where, John is, where Nicodemus was first introduced in the Bible. John chapter 3. Start at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from uh, God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So uh, So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, and we speak that which that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witnesses. Let's stop right there. Here's here's this guy, Nicodemus, and he clearly is an admirer. He admires Jesus. He recognizes some of the things you're doing here; they're not normal. I, I admire you. I respect you. And he's coming to Jesus kind of saying, you're worthy. I'm going to come to you and check you out. I'm going to admire you, but I'm going to admire you just kind of quietly. Look at, look at verse 2. You might have to flip back a page. If, if you look, if we're all using the same translation, what do the fifth and sixth words say in verse 2? By night. By night. Now, this is interesting that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. 
Now, Nicodemus, well-respected man, one of the 72, had so many opportunities to approach Jesus during the day. Jesus was everywhere. And, and people would have made room. They would have been like, whoa, Nicodemus is here. What? Clear, clear some space. He could have had any meeting time with Jesus that he wanted. Any time. And don't be fooled here. It wasn't like Nicodemus was like, whoa, look at the time. It's night. Whoa, let me go meet with him. No, this is very intentional that he's meeting with Jesus at night. This isn't a mistake. He intentionally meets with Jesus at night. Why? Well, think about it for a second. This kind of makes sense. At night, it's dark. No one's going to see him. This isn't going to interfere with his job. This isn't going to interfere with his relationships, with his friendships, with his family. No one will know. It's dark. It's secret. It's at night. This isn't going to interfere with his career. No one's going to catch him. No one's going to interfere. No, no one on the Sanhedrin will hopefully see him coming at night. He's a nighttime admirer of Jesus. He admires Jesus at night. He comes to him at night because he doesn't want there to be too much risk. He says, hey, I'll, I'll come to you. I'll talk to you. I know you're different, but, but you know what? That's, that's where it's going to end. I, I just want to come to you at night. But I love Jesus' response. Jesus, Jesus, once again, he's not fooled either. He's not like, wow, this is a stranger coming at night. I guess he had a busy schedule. No, he knows what's happening here. And I love it. He cuts right to the heart of the matter. He goes, I know your heart. I know what you're thinking. And I know that you're this intelligent man that everybody respects. And he calls him, oh, teacher of Israel. I know these things about you. However, the measuring stick that you're using, that you're teaching people about salvation you're wrong. Nicodemus, what? You're wrong. Your, your measuring stick that you're, you've been using is completely inaccurate. See, I'm telling you, you must be born again. And, and not only that, but I know why you're coming to me at night. He just basically calls out Nicodemus right here. I know you're coming to me at night because you, you don't want interference with your life. You're, you don't want your reputation. You don't want, but I'm telling you, and, and watch Jesus' response. He says, truly, truly, and he says it twice to catch their attention. I'm about to say something important here. Truly, truly, you must be born again. Truly, truly, you must be born again. Now, this idea of, to Nicodemus is like, whoa, what? What are you talking about? That's not what I've been teaching for you. What is this whole born again concept? And, and he says, truly, truly, you must be born again. And, and I love what he says. Uh, once again, as Jesus always does, he knows his audience. So he goes on to use these words, um, born of the water and born of the spirit. He knows that Nicodemus is a very well-educated man. Nicodemus is a man that knew his Old Testament, probably had books of the Old Testament memorized, chunks of it, taught lessons on it, taught, taught hundreds and hundreds of people, knew it like the back of his hand. And so he uses this word, born of the water, born of the spirit, because he recognizes that this is a phrase that's in the Old Testament. Let me read it to you really quickly. It's in, in Ezekiel. There's, there's a passage, Ezekiel chapter, um, chapter 36, verses 24 through 27. He says this. Uh, it says in Ezekiel, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own lands. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and, move, and from all your idols. Moreover... I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove sorry, uh, the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. He uses this phrase here. He uses this phrase of, 
of the water and the spirit because in, in the Old Testament, this referred to regeneration, uh, uh, something new. And he knew it would be a familiar phrase to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, oh yeah, I know the water of the spirit. I, I, I memorized that. What are you kidding me? I've taught on this before. He knows that this is going to be something that Nicodemus can relate to. And so he uses this phrase to, to, to talk about this new birth, being born again. As Ephesians 2.1 says, we're dead in our sins, but, but Christ loves us and, and makes us a new creation. But this was a foreign concept to Nicodemus. He had never heard this before. Never. And, and, and if you have your pencils, I'm sorry, I don't have the fun little fill in the blanks on the outline. I'm sorry. But write this somewhere on your outline. Write this word, must. M-U-S-T. Must. You can write it anywhere you want at the top. You can try and follow where I am. Uh, but the word must. Notice the words that Jesus uses. He says, you must be born again. He doesn't say, I, I highly recommend it, or if you get a chance, you might want to look into this. Or, yeah. he, he, he simply says to him, you must be born again. This word must is actually only used three other times in the book of John. And each time it's used, it's, it's a very serious case. He uses it in reference to the, the, nece- the necessity of the crucifixion, the necessity of Jesus' resurrection, and the necessity of worshiping God properly. So that word must is not just thrown around like, hey, you must do this, you must do No, this is a serious word. You must be born again. Well, here's what, what I think, and I don't know this for sure, but I, I think that most likely Nicodemus went home from that nighttime encounter with Jesus and had a lot to think about. I don't think, and again, this isn't in the Bible, this is what I'm kind of thinking and what some scholars have said as well, that um, most likely he did not have this overnight transformation where, oh, I get it, totally different next morning. He may have, so don't, don't write me down, don't write that down. He may have. But most likely, this transformation took place over a while. This was something that he really had to process. His entire way of thinking had to be changed. Well, flip with me, if you still have your Bible open, to John chapter 7. Because the story of Nicodemus doesn't end there. We're going to go John 7, verses 51 and 52. Sorry, I got you flipping a lot. We're almost done with the flipping, I promise. <laughs> John chapter 7, verses 51 and 52. Again, if you, if you missed it before, Nicodemus is this member of this Sanhedrin, the 72-person council. And at this, to set the scene, what we're going to read right here, this short little passage, they're discussing Jesus. They're discussing what do we do with this guy? Who, who is this guy and what do we do with him? Check out what it's... Oh, I said check out. Oh, sorry. Look, look at what... Man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I caught myself. Uh, look at what it says in, ver- in verses... Um, in, um, I'm sorry. In, in verses 7, uh, chapter 7, verses 51 and 52. This is Nicodemus talking here as he defends Jesus. He says this. Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing. Does it? Verse 52, they answered and said to him, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. It's interesting. Here, Nicodemus finally, finally, finally has some, some boldness. And we're starting to, see a, 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 starting to see a change in Nicodemus. He defends Jesus before this, 
this council, I'm trying to picture this in my head. Imagine 72 people sitting, I don't know if they're sitting in a row or sitting you know, around the table. I'm picturing he says this and all 71 eyes are like, or all 71 sets of eyes are staring at him like, what? You're defending this guy? And, and did you check out, did you see what it said in, in verse 52? He says, um, are you from Galilee also? Now, this verse is meant to be an insult. Galilee was not a very well-respected city. So if you want to think of a state or a, a city that we kind of maybe joke about or a town that we're like, oh, you're from there? Oh, my gosh. You're like, yeah, well, that's what, get, that's what they mean in 52. They're not asking like, oh, art thou from Galilee? No, they're, they're saying, what are you, from Galilee? They're, they're making this joke. And here's what G, uh, Nicodemus realizes, realizes at that exact moment. This is going to cost me. This is going to cost me. This whole following Jesus thing, this is going to cost. There's going to be some interference here. I f- I'm feeling the 71 sets of eyes staring at me. This is going to start to cost and change the way I live, the way I, I have my relationships. This might even affect my finances. This, this could affect everything. But I love what Nicodemus does here. He doesn't back down. As we read at the beginning of the sermon, he's later seen at the, tomb, uh, at, you know, at the foot of Jesus after he's died, and he's sacrificed it all. He's out there, as I said at the beginning, sacrificing his money, his time, his, his reputation. He's like, here I am. I'm associating myself with this man. At that point, there had been no vindication. He hadn't, been risen, from, he hadn't risen from the dead yet. He sacrificed it all. Scholars later tell us that Nicodemus was later martyred for his faith. See, Nicodemus, guys, went from being a nighttime admirer of Jesus to a true follower of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting. I want to flip. We're at the second point now in the sermon, in case you're following along. I want to flip this because when he says, you must be born again, the Greek word for you there is actually plural. It's translated almost like we would use the words, although we don't say this in New York, but you all, y'all, or however they say that, y'all, you all must be born again. Clearly, he's talking to Nicodemus. He's facing him one-on-one. So, of course, he's talking to Nicodemus. But he's saying, he uses this Greek word, you, which is translated to you all must be born again. So I'm not just trying to, hey, how could I apply this to our church? This isn't Tim applying it. This is what Jesus is commanding us. He's not just talking to Nicodemus here. He's talking to all of us. You must be born again. So I want to look at the second point of the sermon of just what does it mean to be a follower of Christ versus an admirer of Christ. And here's the unfortunate circumstances. I think, unfortunately, in our country, we have a lot of people who are admirers of Christ. They'll, they'll, They'll say, Sure, I love Jesus. Of course, you know, if you survey our country, the majority of our country will associate themselves as a Christian. Of course, yeah, I'm a, of course I'm a Christian. And some of them might say, oh yeah, I even go to church. I do this, I do that. But when we get to the word born again, they go, whoa, <laughs> that's a little too extreme. That's like, those are those radical people. Those are people that like really take it seriously. But, but the, we have this problem, I think, in our country, in our world today, where there's a lot of people that simply admire Jesus. And, and I think if I asked you and we went around and said, are you an admirer or a follower? Most of us would like to say we're followers. Uh, I'd like to say I'm a follower. But you know what? It, it's so interesting 
when we look at that passage that we read earlier when Bruce was doing the, the scripture reading um, about, you know, Jesus commands, Jesus demands all. He demands it all for us. David, go ahead, put this picture up here. Now, get past the fact that I'm wearing a Mets jersey. Sorry, all oh, you Yankee fans, I'm sorry. I know. But here's a, here's a picture of my family. And, and I, I kind of picture this in my head every time I read that passage. I always picture this. I picture myself going down to the end of the driveway down here and putting out the garbage or, or getting the garbage or getting the mail, whatever it is. And Jesus is standing there. And he says, Tim, come on, follow me. If this really happened today, 2012, whatever today, August 19th, 2012, if this really happened, I think my initial reaction would be like, oh my gosh, you're Jesus. What, what in the world? <laughs> uh, but then I'd go, oh, oh, of course I'll follow you. Come on, Tim, follow me. Let's, let's go. You, you're going to follow me? Absolutely. Come on, right, right now, follow me. My first reaction, if I'm being per- perfectly honest with you, would be, uh, wait, time out. Can you give me like five minutes? I just need to at least tell Diane and the kids that I'm following Jesus down St. Nicholas Road. I, I need to at least tell, the, tell them where I'm going. I, 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 I can't just go. No, come on, follow me. Follow me. No, but, but wait, but my family, but follow me. Now, I, I recognize that when, when Jesus is saying this, this man that says, let me go speak to my family first, I know back then it was custom a lot of times, you know, they would have this big going away celebration, whatever. But the point is, he was saying, what you're answering right now is showing where your values lie. You're valuing your family over me. You're valuing your career over me. You're valuing your money over me, whatever it is. Jesus says, I, I've got to be number one. I've got to be, you, you've got to have me as the first, as the most important thing in your life. There's an interesting, I, I just read this the other day. There's an interesting group called the Knights of Templar. I mean, have you heard of this? I, I hadn't, but this, these Knights of Templar, when they are baptized, they're actually knights, like K and I. Uh, not, not Nicodemus at night, but uh, when these guys were baptized, they actually are baptized with their swords. Now, here's the interesting thing. When they're baptized with their swords, they actually hold the sword above the water. And the reason why they do this is to signify that I will be baptized, but not this part. This part of me is still mine. I'm controlling this part. And I thought, man, that's, that's so interesting. They're saying, you can have all of me. Go ahead, baptize me. I get it. You can baptize my body, but not my sword. I'm holding on to my sword. It, when, when I go into battle, that's me. That's me time. That's, that's mine. The, the sword is mine. That's, that's mine. And I thought, now most likely, hopefully none of you are carrying swords with you right now. If you are, please feel free to stand out there by me. Or something. Uh, but but if, if you're carrying a sword, most likely that's not happening in 2012. But how many of us are carrying things that we go, you can have all of me except my wallet. You can have all of me except my sports teams. Man, that's that's my time. <laughs> Not if you're a Mets fan. Uh, you can have all of me except my job. You can have all of me except my family. I think a lot of us, if we're being honest, we have a lot of accepts. You can have, I'll follow you, but just not in this area. Following Jesus always costs something. Always interference. He's always going to interfere with your relationships, with your job, with your time. It's always going to cost. I want to do something a little different. Take your pencils if you have one in front of you. Just, let's take 30 seconds. I want you to just jot this down somewhere and, and, and think. 
when is a time or what is something that has cost you because you follow Jesus? In other words, you don't do this because you are a follower of Jesus. Can you think of something? What is something that you have sacrificed because you're a follower of Christ? I'll keep it quiet for 30 seconds. Just jot that down. What's something that that you have sacrificed or given up because you follow Christ? It might be a promotion. You've always wanted this promotion, but you realize that this would, that they were going to be asking you to do things that weren't lining up with the Bible. It might be, um, you know, you've always wanted to just have that house in Florida and just have some me time and, and you know what, bang, you know, cash it in and go, you know what, I'm, I've done the church thing for a while. I've volunteered. I've done this and this and this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, but you haven't. See, following Christ always always, always is going to cost us. It's always going to, uh, there's always going to be some interference with our life. Now let's look at the second point under, under, or under the, the second part of the sermon. What does a follower look like? We looked at what it looks like to be an admirer. Here's some good questions. Is there evidence of regeneration in us? Are we cultural Christians or are we just simply followers of Christ? In other words, are we just going with the flow or are we truly following? And finally, do you ever feel the call for holiness that causes you to swim upstream from culture? Are there ever moments in your workplace or in your school where you go, man, I am sticking out like a sore thumb here because of my beliefs, because of my values, because who I follow. There should be those, there should be those moments where we feel like, you know what? I'm not fitting in here. But to be a follower of Christ, we have to accept the cross along with the crown. We have to accept judgment along with mercy. It's not always going to be easy to be a follower of Christ. Um, You know, I think so many people even, they write on Facebook, religion, I'm a Christ follower. See, it says right there. But Jesus wants us to not just follow with our mouths, but with our actions. We need to be following Christ. We need to be born again. You must be born again, as it said. It means that we're no longer living for ourselves. We're putting others before ourselves. We're putting Christ first in our life. Now, hear me out here. I'm not saying that you work your way to heaven. If you hear anything from the sermon, hear this part, please. It's only by God's grace and through the gospel of Jesus that we get a chance to spend eternity with him. It's nothing we do. There's no way, God is never sitting there saying, Wow, I'm so glad he gave up his week of, v, uh, of work to serve in VBS. Now he's in. No, it's not anything like that. But because we have this relationship, because of the gospel, because of God's grace, we should want to follow. It should, it should result in us wanting and having a desire to follow Christ. Well, finally, as we wrap up here, I want to look at what does this mean for New Village Church? If we're a body of believers and a body of followers, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of churches in our country today, in our world today, that, that want to act like car salesmen. They want to point out all the good features of Jesus. He'll forgive your sins. He'll love you. And those are all true. They are. Don't, get, don't hear me wrong. They, those are all true things. But unfortunately, they stop right there. They don't go any further. 
because they want people coming back the next week. And they want people to leave with this warm, fuzzy feeling, yay, Jesus loves me, and we're out the door, and we'll sing some great song at the end, and yay, I'll be back next week. And again, don't hear me. Those are true things. Jesus does forgive our sins when we, when we ask for, uh, for forgiveness. He does love us. But unfortunately, many churches don't preach the cost of following Christ. You know, when, when Jesus, Jesus was really up front with Nicodemus, hey, following me, it's going to cost you your job. It's going to cost you your friendships. It's going to cost you your family members. This is not the most seeker-sensitive message that Jesus is giving here. Like, ah, you in? Sign right here. No, he realizes that I'm going to be really upfront with you. Here's the cost. But Jesus wasn't interested in being seeker-sensitive. He wasn't interested in everybody always leaving with a warm, cozy feeling. He was interested in commitment. He was interested in followers who were committed to him and committed to bearing the cross for him. And I love that New Village Church preaches the cost. And we can never stop preaching the cost here, guys. Jesus loves us, absolutely. But there's a cost, and there's sacrifices. And if we had time, we could probably go around and you guys could all share some of the sacrifices that you've made. Some of you have made enormous sacrifices because you follow Christ. But we need to make sure that we continue to be a church that follows Jesus Christ, not just at night, and here's what I mean at night, not just here in our secluded, you know, in our sanctuary right here, but when we step out these doors here in a few minutes, are we still acting as followers of Christ? 16,000 people in Lake Grove. I don't know if it's true. I looked it up on some website, city data, but I think it's pretty accurate. 16,000 people. It's a lot of people right in Lake Grove. I think there's so much potential for us to reach our neighborhoods, whether you live in Center Reach, Lake Grove, Smithtown, where, wherever you're coming from. Are we impacting them for Christ? Are we following Christ in everything so that we do stick out? We do. There, there are times where people go, wow, he's different. Wow, she's different because they're a follower of Christ. That's my challenge. I want us to be a body of believers, and I believe we already are. But I want to encourage us to continue to be a body of believers that aren't just nighttime followers of Jesus. But as Nicodemus was transformed, that we too would live for Christ with all that we have. Let's pray. Father God, we recognize that this is not always easy to do. God, we recognize that you call us to be followers and, and it's easy to stay here, say that here on a Sunday morning. But God, when we return to work tomorrow morning, when we return to those relationships and those friendships that um, are with people that don't follow you, God, it's so much more difficult. God, it's, it's my prayer for us and for myself and as, as a body that we would follow you 100%, that we would commit to laying down whatever the stumbling blocks that are in our way. God, I just pray that we would live a life where people recognize and say, hey, he follows Christ. She follows Christ. With reckless abandon, God, that we would follow you, laying it all at your feet. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would stand.